and welcome to episode 30 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're going to be talking about A Fear of Spiders. It's the first story of episode 4 of season 2. It's based on a short story uh, called The Spider by Elizabeth Walter and it's a teleplay by Rod Serling. Um, This is one of those stories where uh, Jack Laird had, uh, well, it's an indication of how they were going to try and mine as many stories as they could. Uh, it was originally, the story was originally published in 1967 in a short story anthology, nothing to get too excited about, you know, just a, a collection of uh, ghost stories. And um, it had a certain raven style feel to it about a man who's harassed by a spider. Um, Salem took it and basically just embellished on it but kept the core story um, but anyway uh, Laird's idea was that the, the as executive producer was that they would be able to mine these stories to be, to be able to turn over um, Night Gallery episodes quickly um, that because there was enough well, basically, you know, you, you had to get a lot of a lot of short stories together um, every year if it was going to continue in the way it was, and this would be the easiest way to do it by basically searching these um, ghost stories in short story books and giving the writer, who were often you know people who were just churn these things out for a lot of cash and quite unusual chaps, uh, some money, uh, and then taking the story and making it better effectively. But. Um, Let's us start now with uh, Rod Serling, who's as he introduces this episode of Night Gallery, which was originally screened on October 6, 1971, and he also introduces us to our story. Good evening. We welcome you to this palladium of our treasures that range from the kooky to the uncommon, from the bestial to the bizarre, and I'd like to take you on a guided tour through the Night Gallery. A collection of paintings on display for only the most discriminating, because it's best that they be seen both after and in the dark. The story behind this offering, a word which we've coined just for the occasion, arachnidophobia. It means for our purposes a special distaste for those crawly little beasties with the multi-legged hairy bodies. In other words, a fear of spiders. The title of our first painting in this, The Night Gallery. So we begin with a man called Jestus, Jestus Walters, who's played by Patrick O'Neill. Jestus is a gourmet critic, a restaurant critic, and um, he's trying to complete his piece uh, that he's writing, uh, but he keeps on getting interrupted. He gets interrupted by the landlord, who uh, won't leave him alone, and he also gets interrupted by... Elizabeth Croft, who is a neighbour upstairs, and um, she is um, quite clingy, a little bit possibly uh, quite. Well, she f- basically she fancies Jester considerably. Um, Elizabeth's played by Kim Stanley, and she likes him. She can be. We'll get into how predatory you, you, she may or may not be later, but. Um, She's a strong woman, let's put it that way, but she's also a bit of a lonely person. I mean, you'd have to be lonely to want to go out with a meal with Jester anyway. He's a not particularly pleasant person, and he is um, 
quite aggressive towards her. You let's let that they've had a couple of dates and stuff like that, and obviously things have gone on. But um, he wants nothing more to do with her, and effectively was kind of using her. Why are you so cruel? I'm not cruel, Elizabeth. I'm refreshingly blunt. <laughs> now, can you get it through that tremulous, fluttering brain of yours that I have no interest in continuing a relationship with you? I asked you out for dinner a few times because you live above me, and it seemed congenial and neighborly. But these persistent nocturnal calls and that perpetual petulance oozing from those red-rimmed eyes, Elizabeth, that is depressing, abhorrent, frankly, it must stop. Now, good night, Elizabeth. I have three columns to write in an article, and I'm desperately behind. Justice, what are you doing? Are you saying goodbye to me? I'm not proposing a simple wedding at the Church of Flowers. Goodbye, Elizabeth. Now, take a pill, count sheep, or fix yourself a club sandwich. But, as awkward as that conversation is, it is nothing in comparison to what's going on in his kitchen. Because there's a spider in there, it's a little one, but it's obvious that Arman Justice just hates them. He absolutely hates them. And um, every time he, he tries to wash the spider down the plug hole, it seems to be getting bigger and bigger and climbing back out again. Uh, he, and he does not like this at all. He, he, he has a real genuine fear for, for spiders. But he manages to go back to work after uh, after washing this monster <laughs> monster spider down down the plug hole, dealing with his um, his landlord and also dealing with Elizabeth upstairs. And he manages to start writing again. But at that stage, he hears a noise, a noise in the bedroom. He goes to check and glances inside, and to his horror, sees a spider as big as. A dog, possibly bigger, as big as a man, and that's, that's covering his bed. He's terrified. He slams the door shut, and that's a uh, to our advert break. But then, when we come back after our ads, he's uh, you see him basically going upstairs to talk to Elizabeth. His initial plan is to basically sound like he is um, wrong and he's sorry, and he does actually want to spend some time with her. He um, it's, he tries to he manages to weasel his way into his into a, her living room and they have a drink and he basically tries on some charm and to try and stay the night. He promises various things, but not necessarily because obviously this is the seventies. They're not the uh, the promises are quite vaguely made, but um, he also well Elizabeth is is surprised at this. Let's put it that way. And as he's trying to cozy up. She um, gets suspicious and basically tries to push him out. Um, you know, I would say not necessarily you've had your chance, but you know, blowing hot and cold. She's not feeling that. She's not happy with the way he's done what he, how he's done it, and he tries to. She has to get rid. At this stage, unsurprisingly, Justice just basically says, "Listen, please help me. Um, there's a giant spider in my bedroom." Um, I think it could kill me. Um, can you? Can I stay the night? She says no. She says it's obvious you'll start. Something's going on here. Something's going on with you. I don't know much about what's happening in your head, but maybe, just maybe, what you really should do is just go and have a look around, and get some sleep. 
she finally pers- is persuaded to follow him. And she finally, strangely enough, goes and looks in the uh, in the kitchen, sees nothing. Goes in the living room and sees nothing. And then she finally gets to um, the actual bedroom and looks in. And Elizabeth looks around, doesn't see anything. Justice glances round and, and steps inside and doesn't see anything. And then Elizabeth slams the door behind him. And then we finally just hear Justice's screams. Please do let me out, please. I remember another place, another time. Somebody said to me, What does it need to get through to you? An answering service? A security guard? What does it need to get the message through to you? Let me out of this! Let's... Let me out! Good night. So it's quite a um, black. It's it's black heart. It's com. It's comedic, but also at its heart, it's quite a, uh, a very macabre idea. Particularly being eaten by a spider, even if it may be one in his mind or maybe one in reality, ready to go, as uh, <laughs> being done in by uh, by 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 an arachnid. Face out the trap. Let's um, let's get this this little nugget out the way. Uh, in the trivia, the biggie, the one that stands out massively, is that Spielberg was down to direct this. Um, he uh, was still working on TV at this stage and was basically, well, he said, "I want to do it." I mean, uh, he was going to do it, and then, but he's burning out on on television already. Um, his experience as a night gallery, to be fair, had not been particularly good. I mean, they'd offered him a great chance with eyes, but um, from there on in, I mean, make him laugh was a was a was a tetchy tetchy shoot. Um, and you know, uh, Night Gallery was tight tight deadlines, and he decided to turn it down. So, well, let's put it this way: they were in a meeting. It was Jack Laird, our executive producer, and another character who. I hadn't really spoken about before, but it's actually surprisingly important in, the, in, in, in well, what I'm going to talk about next anyway. A gentleman called Gerald Sanford, who was the head writer of, uh, of Night Gallery. His job was to try and get bash the scripts into shape, basically. Laird himself also liked to do some rewrites. It didn't matter a lot of the time for some of the writers, um, but um, a sailing script didn't tend to get rewritten. Um, there obviously were times when there had to be. Uh, in the case of um, uh, in case of um, little the, the little black bag, which was cut for censorship reasons, um, but it wasn't often that um, they touched his scripts. But um, anyway, Sanford would say, uh, says the following of this meeting between uh, Spielberg, Laird, and himself. I'd worked in television for ten years, and I'd never heard of anything like this before. 
When he left, I looked at Jack and said, My God, what's going to happen to him? And he said, I don't know, but I'll tell you this, he'll never work at Universal again. As it turned out, I believe Jack was wrong about Spielberg. That, that's a quote that was in, um, taken from um, Night Gallery After Hours tour book, by the way. Um, with, with that done, um, John Aston came in to uh, direct it. He'd already directed the house before and, and done a, a pretty good job with some pretty pretty average material and truth in that case. But he, he he's very good at, uh, at atmosphere and that shows in that episode. I felt um, already the part the parts uh, of by Patrick O'Neill uh, at playing Justice and Kim Stanley uh, as Elizabeth were already filled. Uh, Aston was quite happy with that. Apparently um, they were good. They were good. They were, they were a good choice anyway. They're perfect for the roles. Um, Right, that's that bit over. Now, there's another bit of trivia that we need to talk about with this episode. Um, the script. Um, the general gist is, and we're very, we're very privileged. We're very privileged because we have the Sailing Archive. So we know what he wrote and what was changed. Our man, uh, Gerald, Gerald Sanford, said the following about writing on Night Gallery and I'm just going to do the, the quote as it is at the moment my favourite was The Fear of Spiders I just loved it to me that was like writing a stage play I didn't get credit but to this day I still write with the same energy with every, the same flow with, and everything I don't think Rod, said, Rod had anything to do with that either I think somebody else did a script on that or something and I did a page one word one rewrite in it right now the After Hours book basically just tears this claim apart they say that you can tell you know exactly what 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 um Serlin put in because you can check the archive in the archive not pretty much not a word has changed uh, up to the second time elizabeth's on screen and at that point um, she speaks well her, her, her dialogue alone is changed the tone's the same the idea is the same but it's it's altered in certain ways to to, to facilitate uh, the, the narrative it's paired back in truth it's given uh, it's more nuanced in terms of um, letting Kim Stanley um, give the character the uh, the edge that she wanted far more um Subtly than possibly Sailing script would have given it. Uh, we've discussed this in the past. Sailing is the kind of gentleman who would... Uh, he's very, you know, he can be very wordy. He loves the, the language of dialogue. And um, some actresses, some actors, don't particularly appreciate that. Um, Stanley wanted to uh, change... Kim Stanley wanted to change that, that, that dialogue... Uh, according to Aston uh, she basically said um, that she wants to make changes Lid said no, the script is fine as it is and she started ad-libbing during the filming process words were had but in the end, according to Aston um, they were happy with what she'd done the work she was doing and therefore nothing changed nothing changed um, I don't think it's that uncommon that um, that uh, that actresses do that normally in the creative process. I mean, you know, any kind of any kind of production is various people as their own thing. 
Uh, I don't. I'm not. I mean, you know, Sterling's words. I always find are beautiful. I mean, when he's bad, he's still very entertaining in terms of what people are saying. And um, I don't think you can fault a script. However, I'm very aware some people disagree with that. And also, I'm very aware that this is, uh, you know, seemingly the the the, uh, the story's been improved by the work that Kim Stanley did on her character. And fair play to her, no problems at all. That doesn't excuse, obviously, the things some of the things that Gerald Sanford said in the past uh, about rewriting copy, about rewriting Salem's copy. Um, as and there's a feeling that maybe he's. Um, not sit remembering properly exactly the work that he did. Um, the truth of the matter is, although we always talk about the, I mean, I frequently talk about the tension between Jack Laird and Sailing, and there are occasions when dialogue was rewritten. Um, the difference is coming, uh, and that was one that seemingly Jack Laird himself rewrote extensively, but it's one of few, and in truth. Um, it's not a lot of the time it was done well in this case by the actress to improve the script uh, or it was done for censorship reasons as a case of Little Black Bag um, it was never really done because Salem was you know writing was poor or whatever I mean some people may have disagreed on set about whether you know this should be done this way or that way but um, the problems between Laird and Salem were ultimately down to the fact of both of them trying to wrestle control uh, and an element of attachment uh, and disagreement on what Laird's role was and what Salem's role was. Um, but let's move on from there for a second. And let's just concentrate not on these kind of uh, tensions, but instead go back to the actual uh, the story itself. Um, you know, top, top, top and bottom of it is, um, there's, uh, in the, some people are disappointed when, um, pe- uh, the ideas, some of the ideas of Sanford have been included in terms of how much work he did on certain scripts, um, and which this hasn't been played out when you check the archive. So, yeah, I mean, that's disappointing, uh, but, you know, as I said, um, the definitive uh, book on all this is the After Hours tour, and so you know, read that, and that kind of lays out pretty much what happened. So maybe we should just move on from that from that for now. Let's focus on instead um, Patrick O'Neill in his role as uh, Justice, a man who is uh, he's a suitably bad guy. He's the kind of guy you really you can't wait to get his comeuppance. Uh, he is, um, yeah, I mean, his character himself is, he's kind of odious, really, in truth. I also love the fact that, I mean, you know, it, it's such, his how his flat, his flat, his apartment, is horrible. It's really nasty. And not just, I mean, you know, you look at it, and, like, you know, you look at a lot of nasty 70s stuff these days. I mean, you know, as, as, as an Englishman, um, you look at some of the 70s stylings just, just in absolute horror, absolute horror. But, you know, that's... Uh, and Justice did not... For a man who was meant to be a connoisseur, didn't have a lot of taste. And that kind of highlights his hypocrisy. And it was a great choice in, in, in the, 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 the design of the set. Apparently, um, in terms of our spiders, 
the uh, the small ones, i.e. the real ones, uh, wouldn't really respond particularly well to movement or being pushed around. Um, you know, that's not that surprising, really, is it, to be fair? Um, you know, they get a bit of stage fright. You can never work with children or animals, you know, as they say. Uh, and let's let's be honest about when it comes to our our big our big spider, our, our spider, you know, our killer spider. It's uh, it looks a little daft now, sitting on that bed, uh, kind of jiggling around with its scurrying noise. It's it's very hard to to get right. It's kind of an absurd image, but rightly the director Aston tries to keep the shot as fast as possible. In a sense. It adds a little bit to the to the black comedy of all this, the absurdity of what's happening, but also it kind of you know it, it, it's not that bad a, a shot. It's just you know you have to kind of accept the limitations of the budget. Um, you know it manages to maintain its creepiness because you see it for a second. Um, and in truth, I think it works quite well. It there's a Rightly, Aston doesn't show like an approaching spider moving towards um, our man at the end, and I think that's a really good thing. It's good because it questions if it's all in his mind. There's a subplot in this about you know is is it is this is this fear rational? Is it rational to think that this giant spider actually exists? Because it's an irrational thought. And a fear of any kind of spider itself is really irrational. Particularly if you live in a, an apartment in New York or something. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to get killed by a giant spider. So it, this, the, the play kind of mute, the, 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 play, the teleplay muses on this somewhat. Is this man's fears justified? Is he justified to act the way he does? But at its heart as well, there's there's another side to this. Um, um, apparently, Kim Stanley thought that she herself, in part, was the spider. She was another predator, in a sense. As she, which is fair. I mean, she is, after all, the woman that brings this man's downfall. Whether or not... He, that spider is in that room at the moment and she trundles off and the soundtrack insinuates that here it is that man's mind will, will have snapped by the time she comes to see him the next day so she is as predatory as our giant arachnid so in that sense I think it's a very intelligent story it's not I, I, initially it feels like it could just be a pot boiler in truth, a, a silly throwaway 20 minute gag about a man who thinks there's a monster in his room but I think the choice of the story the work that Serlin did and also indeed the work that Aston and um, the actors did to to flesh this out from being almost like a you know just a story about a man who's being harassed by an animal into something something more I think works really well, really, really well indeed, and I'm, I, I, I really enjoy it. Okay, so um, that done, we're gonna. Uh, I just need to. Well, let's put. Let, let's uh, say first of all the website. You can go to www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com, and uh, we've been putting new stories up on there, uh, features, 
there is an interview with um, the, what, uh, one of the producers for a new Twilight Zone computer game. If you want to have a little look at that, I've been banging up a couple of news items as well, just little little bits and bobs of what's happening currently in the world of the Twilight Zone mainly. Uh, there's a couple of, there's a, a couple of obits in there as well. Um, and as I always say, if you've got any questions or you want to leave any feedback or comments, that's the easiest place to do it, either by email, which is chris at thetwilightzonenetwork.com, or you can just uh, drop a message on uh, on the comments, as did Stan Evans, who, uh, thanks for your kind words about the shows, but he was asking if we could embellish on some more some more facts. Um, he was asking if we had like um, some newspaper reviews of the time. Now I know um, Tom is uh, has benefited has benefited with a lot more has been written about um, this stuff, and I haven't got access unfortunately for the night gallery to be able to give um, like newspaper reviews of the time for all the stories. I've got some, but I can't do them all. I don't, I'd have to well basically look through the microfiche of lots and lots of different newspapers. And I'm just a I haven't got the access to them because I live in the UK. And B, you know, I just, unfortunately I just don't have the time. So sorry about that, but when I do do have that info, I'll be sure to include it. Um, he did also ask about viewing figures. Now, I've kind of got a bit more general information about that because it's at the spine of what actually happens to Night Gallery in terms of the three-season run. So, in that sense, yes, I'll tell you now, in fact, what, 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 what I mentioned. I dropped a, I dropped a line saying I would, would talk about it. Um, the pilot, first off, got just under a quarter of all available viewers in America to be watched. It was the eighth most popular show of that week. It was a big event, and it did very well, um, which is why it got put into the rotation originally uh, for season one in four and one uh, rotation on a Wednesday night. Um, it was, uh, yeah, so that was a massive success, success and a, a return to uh, former glories, really, for Salem in terms of proving that his ideas could work still and, he, and you know he could be a big hitter season one as well consistently did well throughout its run um, it uh, was frequently number one and hilariously it beat its old rival uh, well Twilight Zone obviously was on CBS but I'm it, at the time, it was going against Hawaii Five-O, which uh, I think more people remember now. The Night Gallery, sadly, but night, that that run of Night Gallery season one consistently beat it. So it moved to a new slot and was going against Mannix on CBS and um, Men in the City on ABC. Um, and unfortunately, it consistently came in second place against Mannix and. That was the reason why uh, season, season three, which to be fair is more complicated than how I'm going to put it now, but it start, they started juggling around with the uh, the order time. It went, it, you know, it, it got bumped for political announcements. It got bumped for fo- football, American football events, and in the end, with its budget getting cut, it got moved over to Sunday nights, where it kind of died by a death of a thousand cuts. Um, so that's kind of what happened there. If I get any more specific info on any particular episodes, like big hitters or whatever, I'll be sure to put it in, but that's generally how it worked. Um, just some housekeeping. As mentioned, if you want to uh, check out some more 
more stuff go to www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com there's a link there to our YouTube our Facebook our Twitter um, as well as Suspense uh, Dimension X Twilight Zone Podcast and Night Gallery Podcast uh, we just start putting up episodes from another show which influenced Serling's work in this case Tales of Tomorrow um, I mean some of these some of these influences are almost direct I mean there's a version of The Little Black Bag which I mentioned earlier which is also which which was on that and also uh, various other stories so yeah there's uh, there's a lot there for you, there's more there to, for you to take a look at now and, and hopefully we're able to to flesh out with more content as the weeks go on uh, if you want to talk to me directly uh, easiest way is through Twitter at orange underscore monkey uh, or you can email me at chris at the twilight zone network.com um, next week we have got a short one um, it's called Junior it's written by Gene Kearney it's not terrible it ain't great um, but you know we'll get to that when we get to it it's going to be a short one certainly a lot shorter than this so uh, speak to you then I'll take care goodbye <laughs>